0: This is our seventh session on Ephesians 1, 7 to 10, and before we get into the details of verses 9 and 10, I wanted to step back and just underline the very nature of God's grace as it is showing up here and up here in what we just saw before. I want to draw some things together that perhaps you haven't noticed yet. At least, I hadn't. So, Father, as we try to understand the root and nature and ultimacy of your
1: grace, open our hearts to it and
0: open our minds to it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In him, in the beloved Jesus Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses
1: according to the riches of his grace. Now watch what happens.
0: This grace or this riches of grace is in this word, right? Which, which grace, which riches of grace he caused to abound or he lavished upon us and the state in which we need to be in order to understand this knowledge is wisdom and insight, but the actual abounding or lavishing is right here, which he lavished upon us, making known. So the grace abounded in knowledge, in making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So grace abounding or lavished through knowledge, accords with his, and I put the Greek here because purpose may not be the best translation, it's okay, but the difference between the word will here, thelema, and purpose, eudachian, is that will implies your intention, your resolve, your plan, whereas purpose here, has
1: in it good pleasure. It's it's sometimes
0: translated, the good pleasure of his will. So, while this is raw intention and not making explicit that there's any gladness in it, this word tends to draw attention to the fact that God is well-pleased
1: To do this. So, the grace of
0: God, the riches of God's grace, overflow in knowledge, but it accords with God's primal will or eudochian, his good pleasure. Grace is traced back to be based on nothing but how it accords with his ultimate purpose or his. Eudachean. Now, let's watch that. We've already seen it, but let's watch it again unfold here in verses 3 through 6. In love, and we said that probably belongs with what goes before, so he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the Eudachean, the good pleasure
1: of his will. So predestination
0: here accords with the good pleasure of his will, so does choosing. So the choosing which has predestination in it, we argued, and the predestination accords with the Eudachean, just as we saw that
1: grace accords with his good pleasure here. Now, the way grace links up here
0: is that the purpose of predestining and choosing in accordance with nothing but the Eudachean of his will, not our will, not our qualities, is that the purpose is to the praise of the glory of his grace. So, all of this happens the way it does, being based on God's will, God's good pleasure, rather than our will and our good pleasure, results in the praise of the glory of his grace. So, in both cases, grace is rooted in not our will, but God's will, not our good pleasure, but God's good pleasure. And I'm arguing that is of the very nature of grace. One more pointer. We've seen this, but let's see it again. Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. So when we were dead, God... Made us alive together with Christ. Now here's the key question. Why does Paul insert this phrase here? Because you'll notice that this sentence continues right here perfectly. You don't need this. It says, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So why interrupt? the flow of this perfectly good sentence by sticking in, by grace you've been saved. And he's going to go on in 2.8 to say, by grace we are saved through faith and not of works. But he wanted to say it here because nothing could be clearer about the nature of grace here than to realize our life in Christ, is owing to nothing in us. Dead people don't make themselves alive. Lazarus was dead. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he came forth. That's what he does for every believer. He makes us alive. He gives us spiritual sight and spiritual inclination so that we are able to believe and be united to Christ and be justified and forgiven and have everlasting life. So, the point of inserting, by grace you are saved, is to say, grace is of such a nature that it is based on nothing in us, and all of it traced back to God. So, I go back here
1: to verse 7, the riches of
0: grace, which... He caused to abound in knowledge according to his good pleasure, together with the same thing in 1 5 in predestination based on the good pleasure of his will. Here's how I would define
1: grace grace is God's disposition. And later
0: and elsewhere, we could add power here, because that disposition expresses itself in powerful things in our lives. Disposition to save, or we could say bless, from
1: verse 3. Bless and save. His elect, his elect ones, verse 4, or his predestined ones based on nothing in us but on the good pleasure of his will alone. And so whenever you ask and you should, why me, Lord? Why?
0: Why am I alive? Why am I believing? Why am I saved? Why am I chosen? Why am I predestined? Don't ever answer because I was smarter than my brother or my sister. I was wiser. I was more spiritual. I was more humble. I was more receptive. Because it really did terminate finally on something in me. No, don't ever answer like that. Not in view of what we are seeing here in Ephesians 1. Rather answer, why me, Lord? Why was I chosen, predestined,
1: made alive? Answer, grace, rooted in the
0: good pleasure of God's will alone. And sometimes people use the word sovereign grace just to draw attention to the fact that it is grace and grace alone that made us
1: alive in Christ.